Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest. Or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Firefly Willows L-I-V-E presents Healing Conversations, featuring your host, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Good morning, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for today's roundtable. I'd like to welcome Hi C. Ludemers. Hello. And from Utah, John Carcello. Thanks, Mildred Lynn. What does you should not honor men more than truth mean to you? For me, it means never mistaking the way that we feel about a person or even using, say, what a person has done in the past as a reason for somehow endowing them with this infallible ability to always be right or true. So it doesn't matter if it's the greatest leader of a cause that has done so much good for so many people, if they then do something to, say, steal funds from the organization or something else that goes against oftentimes the things that they may say, but their actions are not following in that, then we don't have to accord them automatic honor just because of who they are as a person or who they are in terms of a leader or the things that they have done. It's recognizing that we hold all people to the same standard of truth rather than certain people get a pass when they don't necessarily abide by the truth that other people would somehow be punished for. But I wonder if maybe that challenge is a really worthy one to honor the truth more than the person. I would say when I read this that one would have to know how to discern truth in mm. order to honor it. And when I look at truth and I look at men and women, I find that men, women, and everything in between 
tend to be subjective and can distort the truth. Mm. So if you are able to discern the truth, if you have tools to discern the truth, you would be able to figure out if the sugar coating by whomever is simply a sugar coating. Well, I think that's the difference between truth and relativism. Because if we honor truth, then, like I said before, we would hold everyone to the same standard of truth. Relativism would say, you know, that person did lie there, but that's not as big of a lie or as big of an issue as this other person who did this thing over here. So somehow that means that this person who told a lie, but we're going to let them off of the hook, we're somehow honoring them more to say it's okay for you to lie and not for this person over here, rather than for us to say truth is truth, and therefore honor comes from abiding by and living in truth. And whether you lie or you lie, it's not relative to the size of the lie or the whatever. It's just, no, you both stepped away from the truth, and therefore we are going to lessen our view of you in the same way. I think truth in the relationship versus honoring the person would say, where honoring the person would get in the way of truth, would be saying, you know, I really love this person, so the truth is this relationship isn't working. And it probably isn't good for either one of us to be in this relationship at this point because we've grown in different ways. And, and, you know, being in the relationship is probably just holding each of us back from experiencing and growing um, in ways that we need to in our lives. But I don't want to hurt this person. I love this person. So I'm going to honor this person by staying in the relationship rather than putting them through that. This is an interesting domain to poke around in because to honor the truth more than the person would be to say that in honoring the truth, we actually are delivering, in a way, the highest form of honor to the person. Well, that's true. (laughs) But that would mean that we would be honoring the truth. Whereas if we're staying in it because we don't want to hurt the person, we're actually honoring the person rather than the truth. What I'm poking at is, Choosing to stay in the relationship is not actually honoring the person. It's more like avoiding causing the person pain, perhaps. But if I were to honor you with the truth, that might be the highest form of honor I could offer you. It's like an order of operations thing in math. You've got to do the truth thing first because that leads to to the actual honor in the relationship. I don't know. It's a thought. I think it's a good thought, John. What about looking at the practice of honoring men more than truth in society? If we looked at a, if we took it outside of our community and maybe looked at the news. Mildred Lynn, it's a shocking fact that we do an awful lot of this honoring men more than truth. And I think part of the problem, part of the problem is that we're confused about what the truth is. You know, you talked about that in your assessment of the quote that we'd have to be able to know what the truth is. We have to be able to discern the truth. And we're so awash in messages that distort the truth for all kinds of reasons, you know, whether it's the profit motive or the political power game or even in relationships where 
there might be a desire that's different than having the truth out on the table, the desire to maintain the status quo, to avoid disrupting the relationship for reasons of convenience or economic viability or whatever. Right? So I think one of the challenges we have in honoring the truth than the choice to honor a person is that we don't, uh, we're not in the habit of actually discerning the truth very reliably. What are the benefits of honoring the truth? What's in it for whomever if they choose to honor the truth? Is it an internal benefit? Is it an external benefit? Because we follow the trail of things that we value or things that we get something out of. So if we're in a society at this point in time where truth is maybe not honored to the degree it needs to be honored as a quality or a virtue, that really means that there's more in it for us not to value the truth than to value the truth. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I suppose it depends on what you mean by value, because I don't know what value there is. So something that I, as John was talking, something that it made me think of was if we take the racial tensions and injustices that are really at the forefront right now, there's a lot of people that think an activist getting up and interrupting a politician's campaign speech is going completely overboard and is completely uncalled for and is very rude to the person who's making the campaign speech. And really, that kind of thing should be done where you organize a sit-down around a table someplace and have a calm, quiet discussion. And really what that says is we who are either perpetrators of something or at least silent bystanders of something are uncomfortable being faced with the truth. And therefore, we should not disrupt the comfort level of a certain segment of society by continuing to be so loud and so vocal with the truth of what's really going on. And some people would say, well, the value of that, of not being so loud and vocal, means People don't get riled up, that we can avoid having demonstrations in the streets, in cities, so that we can have a calm, peaceful, civil society and discussion. But that's not a real value because that's only a value that's important to a certain segment of the population. That's not doing anything to address the issue, to face the truth and deal with what that truth means and what needs to be done as a result of that truth. So that definition of value is going to be really important because there it seems as if the value of the truth would mean a real change in society for everyone, whereas the value of not being so loud and vocal and not putting the truth out there all of the time is only a value to a certain segment. And so when value is only there for a certain person or a certain proportion of the population, then again, it's honoring men. It's honoring the, the humans who are benefiting from that rather than being willing to put value on the truth itself. I value the truth, and I know the benefit that it brings to me as I feel in alignment. But what I'd ask both John and, and Hi-C is 
if we decide that we do value the truth, if we're able to discern the truth, what can we do as human beings on a daily basis so that we are striving to honor the truth? Any tips or anything that you do in your life? I want to quote Thomas Jefferson. An educated citizenry is a vital requisite for our survival as a free people. So, in one sense, the fundamental thing that we have to do is seek the truth. We have to be educated. We have to take the time to find sources that are dedicated not to an agenda, but to the truth. And this is true for politically for both the right and the left. It's so easy to listen to the stories that sound comfortable to us and really hard to listen to stories that challenge our points of view. But at the end of the day, if you're going to honor truth more than men and reap the benefits of honoring truth, you have to get educated. And what about you, High C? Is there something that you could recommend on a daily basis? It's the willingness to both speak the truth and to stay true to ourselves, even at the risk of what that might entail. Because truth isn't necessarily what we say because we think that's what's going to make somebody like us. Mm. Truth is what we say or how we live because we know that that's right. And going back to kind of a similar theme that I had touched on a minute ago, it would be like, one, it's it's the willingness to honor someone else's truth and not try to shut them down when it starts to become uncomfortable or feels as if it goes against ours. It's the willingness to listen and the willingness to allow them to to have that truth, but then to perhaps engage in a dialogue to see is there a way for your truth and my truth to meet in the middle, or is actually our truths the same, we just are seeing them differently, and maybe there's a more common way to see it that allows us to see how we're actually coming from the same place. But a lot of times when we hear the truth, if it makes us uncomfortable, we decide to shut the source down. And I've seen this with people where, let's say, a person of color is talking about the injustices and the issues going on and things that need to change and all that kind of thing. And when it starts to become uncomfortable for the person listening, they'll be like, but but why do you always have to be so angry? <laughs> and it's like, well, because you're not listening to their truth. You're wanting to hear what they're saying and you're wanting them to say it in a way that you want to hear and in a way that you want to hear it and in a way that makes it okay for you to not be challenged in the way that you think or want things to be. And so I think on a daily basis, it's the importance, in a sense, it's actually combining that the quote from Plato that you started with. It's saying it's honoring men and the truth and not honoring one more than the other. So instead of honoring men more than the truth, which is what Plato was saying not to do. I would say on a daily basis, it's about honoring both the person and the truth equally so that they both have the space to be heard and to be expressed and to exist rather than for one somehow trumping or being better than the other. I didn't want to say that phrase. <laughs> trumping. <laughs> <laughs> one last thought. I want to reiterate, I see 
what you said, honoring the truth is a courageous act. More often than not, honoring the truth is an act of courage. And so practicing courage, I think, every day is uh, a big part of how we make that better. And for myself, I would go back to discernment. Practicing every day your tools of discernment and the best tool I can think of is the one where you go inside yourself and you do your deep breathing and you connect with your higher self and you use that voice, your inner voice, to help you discern your truth. And it's a discipline and it's a practice. The final point I wanted to mention about honoring the truth more than man, for me, truth is a universal truth. It's a foundation. It's fundamental. It's fixed. It doesn't change. The truth is the truth. Whereas we only live a certain amount of time. We are subjective. We are emotional. We can flow left or we can flow right or we can flow up or we can flow down. So to me, it's like we're clouds or we bend. Whereas truth is almost like putting a stake in the ground. It's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. So I'd like to thank John Carousella and Hi C. Ludemers for helping me gain another understanding of Plato's famous quote, you should not honor men more than you honor truth. And I'm hoping that our listeners will play with this a little bit more today and perhaps look at how you discern truth and how you can bring more truth into your life on a daily basis, and how you can also honor men in the context of truth. So thank you very much, John. Thank you, Hi-C, and stay tuned for the rest of our show. Thanks, Mildred Lynn. Bye for now. Well, that's our roundtable for this week. Many thanks to Mildred Lynn McDonald and participants John Carousella and Hi-C Lutmers. We hope you found this roundtable discussion engaging and thought-provoking. If you would like to join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash fireflywillows and add your comment under this week's roundtable post. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol, California. Thank you for joining us today. Jacqueline Suskin is a writer, performance poet, and an artist based in Los Angeles. She's the author of two books, The Collection, and her latest entitled, Go Ahead and Like It. Known for her ongoing work with a project that she calls The Poem Store, Jacqueline composes on-demand poetry for customers who choose both a topic and a price in exchange for a unique verse. Jacqueline has been featured in the New York Times, T Magazine, LA Times, and Time Out LA, among others. Join us today as we talk to Jacqueline about her poetry, the Poem Store Project, her compassion and humanity, and how we can come together to successfully tackle projects like saving a forest grove for the greater good of all. As a special treat, I'll be picking a subject and Jacqueline will write a poem for us right on the spot. So, without further ado, let's welcome Jacqueline Suskin to the show. 
Jacqueline, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about being a poet today. When you were a child, did you know you were a poet? Yeah, I, I did. I knew right away. I don't really know if I knew what a poet was when I was a child, but I was always filling up notebooks with writing and short little poems about things that I had noticed and was always reading. And my father was very theatrical and very literary based. So he was always reading me things. And I was always trying to write my own little stories. And just the form of poetry really took me and I just kind of went with it. And as I got a little older, we would do poetry projects in school. And it was always my most favorite thing. And I just was very drawn to it. I first came across your name in Yes Magazine, and I remember the day I was looking at the news feed, and I noticed a story about a timber baron who had interacted with you based on a life event, and you were kind enough to create a poem for him. Through that interaction, as we know in life, sometimes you start off doing one thing and other beautiful things come out of it. There seemed to be an opportunity to share different perspectives, and the net-net, from my understanding, was that there were trees involved, and then the trees were looked at differently and perhaps put to a different use than had originally been thought about. And I remember reading the information, and it touched me very deeply, and I thought, oh my heavens, this young woman has really been in her power and used her voice in integrity to touch another human being for the betterment of everybody. I read the poem once again, and what I really liked in the end part of the poem is you spoke to exactly what I was feeling about touching another person as a human being, and what really hit me was when you said, well, this was a powerful person, I'll paraphrase, People may just see their power and not see them as a human being. I see them as a human being. And from that vantage point, we were able to connect and have something good and sustainable and environmentally happy come out of that. So first of all, I wanted to thank you for sharing that poem and sharing that story. I know you see people as human beings. How do you do that when so much around us, I guess especially in Los Angeles, tempts us to see the person as what they have or power or connections. How did you manage just to sweep all that away and get to the nitty-gritty of human to human? Well, you know, this story is so special, and it's the most important thing that Poem Store has ever created. Neil, my friend who the story is about is the senior vice president of Green Diamond Timber, which is the largest timber company on the West Coast. And Neil came to me as just a person at the farmer's market when I was living in Arcata, California. And he brought this subject of being underwater. He just wanted a poem. He was just somebody who came up like everybody else. And I didn't know who he was and I didn't know what his job was. And he followed that by wanting a poem for his wife who had passed away. And writing a poem for someone whose spouse has suddenly left this world is one of the most impactful subjects I've ever come across with Poem Store. And the process of writing that poem allowed me to develop a relationship with Neil, a friendship, a connection. And it wasn't until after all of that that we had already developed this bond about 
something as touching and, you know, moving as this loss that he had gone through, this trauma that he had experienced, that I realized his position, his power. And being the senior vice president of a giant timber company that cuts down the forest and that is really, really, really set to be a demon in the public's opinion, in the liberal opinion. People are so against Green Diamond. And I knew a bunch of people in Arcata who were Earth-first activists who had just really dehumanized Neil. They had really put him in this position where they looked to him as the enemy. And upon my whole experience of knowing Neil, I just knew they were wrong. He was mm -hmm. so incredible. He was so open. He was so interested in making changes. He was so devoted to the forest in such a magnificent way. He wanted to make the company as good as it could be. He wanted the forest to grow. He wanted it to be this really great cyclical process. And he would do whatever it took to make things happen, but he felt that people were always just demanding things of him. People were never approaching him like he was a human being with concerns or, you know, shared ideas. They just put him in a place of power and thought that he was evil, pure evil. Mm -hmm. And to see that whole experience kind of flipped and to know Neil before I knew what his job was, I kind of immediately saw the window and this whole example that I needed to share with people and to, just to just to express you should never approach another person thinking that they're evil just because they've done things that you don't like you know you can always find a way to have compassion or to know someone in a deeper way because then that opens all these doors for actual change to happen and that is what happened with Neil once people could approach him or see that he was this person you know, once I introduced him to my friends, these Earth First activists, and they could kind of see that he wanted to work with them. He wanted to build a bridge between their concepts and not have to be in opposition all the time, but work together and share ideas. And, and they did, and they ended up coming to an agreement. And Neil made this gesture to change the fate of this forest that these kids were protesting to not have cut down. And his decision to do that was out of pure dedication to becoming an example of someone who could say yes and who has a zone of yes that he works within and that he is just a human being who really wants to make things different. I really like that. And I wanted to share with our listeners, I mentioned the article was in Yes Magazine. It's called One Poem That Saved a Forest. And Jacqueline, I want to share with you, I alluded to there was a couple of lines in the poem that really hit me, and I'm going to share them with our listeners now. And they go like this. May we remember that everyone holding a place of power is still simply human. They may be grieving. They may be in need. They may be sitting with an ache that only we can help ease. They may be nothing like the picture that society paints of them, and they may want to do something extraordinary. Now, how many people are sitting out there with that ache, with that need within them? Maybe it's their life purpose. Maybe it's their life blueprint. Maybe it's their passion wanting to be expressed. And all they need is to connect with someone who can see them as a human being like you did. And I wanted to ask you, 
when you connected as a human being, when you realized that there was more to this picture than took place at the farmer's market, who did you have to be, Jacqueline, to reach out and be that compassionate, understanding human? Can you share any qualities or characteristics or values? And the reason I'm asking this is because people are listening and these characteristics or values may help them look inside themselves and say, okay, I can do that. I can approach someone from a place of whatever. Anything to share there? Yeah, well, when I connected with Neil and then I found out who he was, my opinion immediately I heard all these things in my in my mind that I had heard about Green Diamond, all these like deep dark fears and people's, you know, judgments and all this stuff kind of washed over me. But I already knew that this person was great. So I thought, okay, well what if I what if I hadn't known he was great? Now, the trick there is to not judge someone. You know, I immediately was like, I just wouldn't, I'd have to approach this person who is doing something that so many people think is terrible and just have compassion and be interested to go deeper. I mean, the real trick to, like, really appreciating someone is knowing what's going on under the surface, is becoming their friend or connecting with them, being able to communicate with them on a different level rather than just pointing your finger at them or already deciding that they are this way or that way. And as you went through that process of realization and actioning how you truly felt, did you grow in any way? Did this whole experience help you on your journey? Yeah, I mean, this has been one of the most impactful things that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. friendship with Neil still serves as that because there are so many levels going on there. You know, my emotions about him and his wife and his family, my emotions about the forest and his desire to create change and just the really great character of this person who is just never celebrated. And to me, I was just constantly being touched in all these different ways and brought to tears and feeling like, oh, we can we can change the world together and then feeling like, oh, there's so much opposition. There are so many people up against this great concept of acceptance and people just really look to Neil and they don't even treat him like a human being. And so I would feel this rise and fall of defeat and enthusiasm constantly. I can imagine. <laughs> and I must say you had great courage and you honor your truth so beautifully, and, and I'm hoping that our listeners are, are hearing that and they're able to see some of that in themselves because if, if we each take this approach, even once in our life, things would be very, very different. So, as I said, we have people listening. I'm sure they're being touched by what you're saying. Is there anything that you feel that it's important for us to understand or to remember as we go through our daily lives. And what I'm thinking about here is you alluded to it. We have a picture of a person in our minds if they're associated with a cause that we may not necessarily support or we may feel is negative or detrimental. I guess it goes back to don't judge the book by its cover. You mm-hmm. know, that would be something that people always say. I know when I'm meeting people, I always try to move myself to a point of neutral. Mm-hmm. And if I can move myself to neutral, then I'm more open to what they're saying. And then I've taught myself to say, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Another another way of keeping yourself in neutral. Is there anything that you've found through this journey or another journey that keeps you in that precious 
space where you are able to look at people. And I know you'd have to be able to do that to write your poetry. Oh, absolutely. You automatically have to assume that this person is coming from a place of trauma. This person has experienced something in their life that has been difficult, that has hurt them, that has made them either afraid or in pain or looking for something, searching, some kind of loss, some kind of event. Every single person in the world has gone through something that has made them tender or made them have an ache or made them want to be better or want to heal or need to mend in some way. And one of the most important points of this story in Yes Magazine, this whole concept of Neil and everything that went on in Humboldt County with this is just these kids were sitting in these trees for so many years trying to save this forest. And it wasn't until they could approach Neil like a human being and treat him with compassion and consideration that anything happened at all. Mm -hmm. So I think the major point is if you want to make change in the world, if you actually want things to be different, if you want things to shift, if you want to make a difference, if you want to make an impact, the only way to do that is to reach out to people, try to connect, try to actually level with them, be on a level ground, find that neutral place, hear them out. The only way to work with Green Diamond, it's it's a business. So how do you work with a business? Well, you have to treat it like a business. You can't request something from a giant company and expect them to like, oh, just shut down the mill or, you know, stop doing what it takes food on their table. You know, they, they're going to have to still operate as a business. So you have to work within that. You have to work within people's parameters. You have to remember where they're coming from. I remember reading an article. Oh, you can help me here. It's the lady. She's wonderful who helped save the gorillas. Jane Goodall. Yeah. Okay. I was reading an article from her and she she said something that really hit me. Gee, it sounds like I go through the day being hit by by energy all over the place, but sometimes I do. <laughs> so she was talking about the gorillas and someone's interviewing her and, and she said, I'll paraphrase, she said, you know, we realized that in order to develop understanding and respect for the gorillas in the forest, we needed to make sure that the village had food to feed its people. Because if you were hungry, you were focused on satiating that hunger and the gorilla situation is, is secondary. You're in survival mode. Right. I'll always remember that. And I thought, yes, that is absolutely true. We have to help people get out of survival hunger mode. And then once that's taken care of to a certain level, you can turn your time and attention to looking at other things. So when I'm looking at society and urgency to make money or do whatever, it's almost like that hunger that that village was perhaps experiencing. And so you're a little bit oblivious or non-caring to other things that might be going on. So what I'd love to ask you is people are walking through their lives and you've used your poetry, you've embraced your poetry to help release positive healing energy in the world. In your opinion, what else can people use? Well, they can use whatever they've got. <laughs> I mean, whatever whatever you have that inspires you, whatever way you can reach the world. I mean, this is the way that I am in service. And I think a good way to do that is to ask yourself, what do you serve? What are you trying to do? I, I'm trying to serve the earth. I care about the earth so much. And in whatever I'm doing, and with all my poetry, I 
see it as a form of activism for the earth. I want to take care of this place that I love so much. And everybody else has, you know, other things that they serve, whether it be a god or their family or some cause that they've chosen. But whatever it is, you can aim all your energy towards trying to help make things better and trying to heal this place or people or one another. I think that is just really all it takes is really questioning, what am I doing? What am I doing to help? And what do you love about your work? I mean, capital L-O-V-E, love. I love that I, I feel that it actually is functional. It really does do something for people. I get to see immediate results. I think that's so unique for an artist or anyone who's doing this work of service to actually have an immediate connection with someone and see them cry and be affected deeply from reading something that I've written them. As I was looking at your work and I was really fascinated by what else you had written and what's going on with you and how did you become who you are, I noticed that you have a book called Go Ahead and Like It. So can you tell us a little bit about your book and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, that's my my latest book that just came out this year, and it is about the power of writing lists of things that you like. It's a, a form of daily gratitude. It's also a writing exercise. It's something that I've done for years, just taking a piece of paper out and write the words I like on the top, and then for as long as I feel like writing, I jot down all these details, things that are significant, things that offer meaning to my life. And by the end of it, I just feel incredible. It really changes my mindset. And I'd done it for so many years myself that suddenly I was like, oh, I think perhaps I should make a book about this because it's really helpful for me. And I bet it will help other people. And It's really proven to be a pretty special project. You know, when someone sits down to write a list of things that they like, watching them kind of transform and their whole, like, attitude and mood change is, is really special. So give me an example of a couple of things that we might find on your list. What do you like? What do you go ahead and like it for today or this week? My favorite example from the book is the traffic jam. I always talk about being in a traffic jam. What is there to like about that moment? You know, there's nothing to like about that moment. But then in those moments, I'll look around and make a mental list, and I'll be like, oh, well, I really like the song on the radio. And I really like the color of the car next to me. It's a nice shade of turquoise. And my socks feel really good inside my shoes. And my AC is working. And I like that. And there's beautiful vines growing on the bridge embankment over there. And suddenly there's all these things that I'm listing, these little details surrounding me, just that I can see or hear or smell or feel that really change my whole mood. If we took it to a deeper level and we looked at go ahead and like it, what is the key need that you're filling by inviting people to do that? What do you think? I think it's just reminding people to be positive and to connect to the things that they like in life, that that they enjoy, that it's kind of this great reminder, this really easy and direct reminder that the world that surrounds us is an infinite source of joy and pleasure and that there's just so much there for us to enjoy that maybe we can stop turning towards the negative all the time. It's really easy to find the negative. There are so many things Mm. to be upset about in life. And I think that just it's a really great generator of positivity. When people start exploring these lists or writing the lists, how has it been perceived the whole concept? Well, I mean, it's it works like a charm. <laughs> People, first, it can seem kind of 
insignificant or like silly or the word like is not exactly something that people think of as like a deep concept. But as soon as they sit down with a piece of pen and paper or they sit down at one of my typewriters to type out all the things that they can think of just in that moment, then they realize, oh, right, there's this great endless source of significance surrounding me. Because you're absolutely right, because when you look at it first, it just seems, well, okay, yeah, it's just creating a list. But as you start to go through it and create the list, because, of course, I had to try this out, you, oh, do, act, you do actually shift. And it's like, brilliant. This <laughs> has been right before my eyes. <laughs> and you feel inclined to keep writing a list, and it doesn't have to have many items on it. Just items where you're connected with your heart. This is what I found. Items where you're connected with your heart and your spirit. You're using the eyes of your heart and your spirit and being open to shifting it or laughing at it. Who are your sources of inspiration and why do they inspire you? Well, I have a great number of poets and artists who I can access whenever I want. Wendell Berry is my favorite poet. He's just so inspiring, so prolific, has done so much work with activism within his poetry for very connected to the agriculture industry and uh, small farming and just the concept of nature and food. And he just really ties everything in so beautifully and is just always coming out with new ideas and new ways to share concepts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have an endless source of that kind of thing of just different people who have been influential in my life because of what they've written or the artwork they've made. But then I also really have the great, great gift of very talented friends who Mm. are always coming up with different projects and different ways to be outspoken about the things that they care about and who are dedicated to their work and to their projects and their process. So, Now, I have to admit, when we spoke the first time, I went and I Googled Wendell Berry, and I ended up on YouTube watching an hour interview. I guess it's a rare thing for him to be interviewed. Mm -hmm. And I sat there for about an hour, and I was absolutely captivated. I had never heard of this man before, and I really liked what he had to say. And I was equally impressed with how the audience received him. Mm. And he reminded me of Ray Anderson. I don't know if you've ever heard of Ray Anderson, but he he had a business. He had a carpet factory and basically decided one day that, I'm, I'm sure there was a big backstory, but decided that he wanted to create carpets in a green way, an environmentally friendly way, and succeeded in doing this. Hmm. Then started to become an activist and an advocate to show that you can even create carpet and have it. Yes. Now, he he died in 2011. Sometimes you don't even know these people exist in the world. And then all of a sudden you come across this person and you listen to their message and all it does is resound truth and it speaks to your heart and it speaks to your spirit and you're just so grateful. But on the other hand, you can't believe that you've never heard of this person before. (laughs) So that's how I felt when I explored the work of Wendell Berry and thank you Jacqueline for suggesting him as a source of inspiration because it certainly expanded my horizons. Now I wanted to ask you a personal question and I love this type of question. 
who do you need to be to show up and do the work you do in terms of you're a human being, you're walking the earth. I know for myself, in order to do the type of work I do, I need to show up in a certain way. And some people invest in yoga or walks in nature, breathing. There's a hundred different ways to show up. But how do you stay in integrity and how do you nourish and sustain that integrity? Well, ever since I moved to L.A., I have had to do more self-care than I ever okay. <laughs> have imagined. Yeah. So, yeah, I do yoga, and I've always had a yoga practice, but it's even more intense here. I go for walks. I give give myself time to read or to be to travel. That's really restorative for me. In Los Angeles, a lot of people go to the Korean spa, which is something I had never heard of, and now that I live here, I do that all the time, too, because very helpful to constantly, you know, I do acupuncture, I'll get massage, I, I have to do all sorts of things to restore my energy because doing poem store performance in this very public and very intense, yeah. connected way is exhausting. It's the most psychically draining thing I've ever done. It really wears on my body and my mind. And so, you know, in order to be present and to really do a good job, I just have to take really extra, extra good care of myself, which can be like a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. I can imagine that. I remember when I first started doing energy work, when I would shift channels, I would call it, I could stay in an alternate energy for maybe two minutes starting up, and my face would get really red and I'd be really thirsty. And so it took me maybe two to three years to learn how to develop and flex that muscle. And then you have the whole part of managing it that goes with it and the whole part of managing yourself. <laughs> so, so this full-time job that you mentioned, I could relate to it. So what I'd love to do now is you had talked about the poem store and how people would come up. They would throw out a topic and you would connect with whatever you need to connect with and you would create a poem on the spot. So I would love for our listeners to have the experience of that right now if you're open. Yes, of course. And the vibration that came in to me was discovery. Mm. So for, first of all, Jacqueline, could you explain about your, so people could visualize your typewriter? Because this is a okay. real old-fashioned typewriter. Yeah, so I have this little manual typewriter. It's a Hermes Rocket and it's beautiful color of like seafoam green keys and light green body and it's really small and compact and I have it just sitting here on my desk and with a little piece of paper ready to go. All right.
Okay, you want to hear it? You know what? You've got to have the fastest fingers in the West. <laughs> I would love to hear it. Okay, discovery. How we dig and figure, find the path, and pull ourselves along toward light. With visions and hopes, with every dream that decides direction, we follow the feeling of needing to know, of want for more, and from inner world to outer, there is always the infinite source with sentiment upon sentiment offered up like an arrow, like the best built guide. Oh my God, there's so much in there. <laughs> yes. You covered it all. <laughs> I'll have to send it to you. Well, do you know what I'd love? If you could take a photo of it so I can put it up. Yes, no, no, no. We got to. We have to do this, Jacqueline. You got to send it to me, yes. But also take a photo of it and send me the photo. Sure, no oh, problem. Oh, I love that. I, can you read it once more? Okay. <laughs> uh, discovery. How we dig and figure, find the path, and pull ourselves along toward light. With visions and hopes, with every dream that decides direction, we follow the feeling of needing to know, of want for more, and from inner world to outer, there is always the infinite source with sentiment upon sentiment offered up, like an arrow, like the best-built guide. What can I say, an artist at work, how often do we get to experience that? Yeah, well, that's part of the thing that I think is so special about Poem Store is that poetry is often forgotten and people don't access it. But when I'm sitting on the street, people want poems. They want poetry. They want to interact with it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're at the Poem Store. Where is the poem? You said, uh, you're. I know you're in Los Angeles. Where's the Poem Store? People come and find me in public mostly at the Hollywood Farmer's Market on Sundays. Okay. Um, I'm not always there, but I try to be because that's a nice place for people to access me. A lot of other times I'm working private events and things like that. But on my website, I always try to update the event section so people can come and find me. So just to be clear for our listeners, the poem store, Jacqueline is there, and you can walk up to her, suggest a theme or a word or a vibration, and then Jacqueline will go into her sacred space. I'll call it sacred space because that's how it feels to me, and create a poem for you right on the spot. And you read it to the person too, no doubt. Yes. <laughs> right. So what's coming up for you next year? Well, I'm working on a couple new books. Uh, I have a lot of residencies lined up that I'm doing. Oh. And, yeah, mostly just trying to uh, keep the books flowing. And what about if someone wanted to get a hold of you to create a poem? Well, they can write me on my website, yoursubjectyourprice.com. There is a little thing you can fill out that lets you order poems, a little window, a little form that you can fill out. And people order poems over the Internet all the time. Okay, Jacqueline, I have to ask this because I was on your website. It's your poem, your price. Let's say I'm right in discovery. How do I figure out the price? Oh, I usually just let people choose because the concept is I want you to be able to get a poem no matter what. So mm -hmm. sometimes people only have a couple dollars to give and sometimes people have a hundred dollars to give. It's okay. all over the place. And okay. I think the idea of the donation, sometimes people will feel pressured by that, but the idea is to give you the freedom to decide what you have to offer. Okay. All right. That's part of the process. I get it. I get it. And are there any works of wisdom or words of wisdom or perhaps a favorite poem that you'd like to share with our listeners? 
Yeah, I think it would be good to close with a, a Wendell Berry poem. Okay. This one's called A Standing Ground. However just and anxious I have been, I will stop and step back from the crowd of those who may agree with what I have to say and be a part. There is no earthly promise of life or peace, but where the roots branch and weave their patient, silent passages in the dark. Uprooted, I have been furious without an aim. I am not bound for any public place, but for ground of my own, where I have planted vines and orchard trees, and in the heat of the day climbed up into the healing shadow of the woods. Better than any argument is to rise at dawn and pick dew-wet red berries in a cup. Oh, I love those berries in a cup of dew. Why haven't you get really entranced with this, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Poetry isn't really a part of our lives that much anymore. Well, I disagree. I think oh, it's okay. a big part of our lives. Okay. I just don't think we recognize it. I think poetry is kind of woven into all these different things that surround us all the time in advertisements and text messaging and how people are trying to communicate in these brief statements over the internet. Very poetry rooted and people just don't know that. They don't think about it like that. So how can we help them think about it like that? That's why I'm sitting out on the street corner. <laughs> Do my best. <laughs> Fill in that rice bowl. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I I really admire and appreciate and value your work, Jacqueline. I love how you relate to a person, human being, the human being, and also how you are very present in the moment and sharing your beautiful talent with the world. After listening to you talk in our time together, I really feel that lots of wisdom there and at least three fronts. One front, following your passion, poetry, go figure. You're making a living at poetry, you're at the poetry store, you're creating books, you're doing all kinds of wonderful things to connect with people. You're looking at each human being as a human being and figured out a way to get past the structure of society that puts so much emphasis on money and position and all that kind of stuff that really doesn't mean anything. When a life crisis happens, we're all the same. Nobody is spared. We all have our turn. I really, really appreciate that, and I appreciate how you are able to share your gift as an artist in the moment and let a person experience it because when we looked at the theme of discovery and you were typing away there, I was just on the edge of my chair. I was so in the moment appreciating that you're doing this right here and right now. So I'm really impressed with that and so much more for you to do, so much more for you to share and experience. Thank you very, very much for being on Healing Conversations, for sharing your gift with the world and for showing up in a practical way, just enjoying every moment. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And as we depart, I would like for you, Jacqueline, just to share your website one more time with our listeners, and then we'll both go out into the sunshine. All right. It's yoursubjectyourprice.com. Excellent. Yoursubjectyourprice.com. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald. I'm your host for Healing Conversations. Thank you very much for joining us today. 
Our guest was poet Jacqueline Suskin. She's located in Los Angeles, California, and we will be looking forward to more and more and more poems along the happy trail. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Revolution with Heisey Lutmers, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.